Hey everybody, it's Danny Lobel and some very sad news which may have already reached you is that the legendary comedian, the incredible poet, and humorist Shelley Berman has passed away. Today I was at his funeral service. It was touching. And you may recall my talk with him in season two, but in case you don't, I am reposting it in his memory here. In fact, you've downloaded it or are listening to it as we speak. Well, the episode anyway. So here's what happened in between me recording this episode and Shelley Berman passing away. I recorded the episode with Shelley. I sent it to him. He really liked it. We stayed in touch. My wife and I wound up getting invited over for a lunch with him and his wife, his incredible wife, Sarah. We had lunch together at their house in Bell Canyon, California. We all hit it off, the four of us, and decided to do it more regularly. This is going back a few years now, so we started doing that, and we would go over their house, and Sometimes we would bring lunch from our neighborhood with us, or sometimes they would make lunch for us. And we spent time together. My wedding rolled around. We invited them, and they came to the wedding, and Shelly and I danced together. Sarah and Kylie danced together. It was beautiful, and a real bond was formed, and their daughter Rachel came. And all of a sudden, Rachel became friends with us, and Rachel's two sons became friends with us, and they started coming over our house. And a few Rosh Hashanahs ago, I guess two two Rosh Hashanahs ago, Shelly came over our house for Rosh Hashanah with Rachel and her sons, and here we are approaching Rosh Hashanah again, and Shelley has that beautiful poem about Rosh Hashanah, which is in the episode. So it's all very interesting that this is the time of year, but uh, Shelley Berman has passed away. And so I thought I would release this episode in its entirety from season two for you to listen to the beginning of what became a beautiful friendship with an incredible person the wonderful and one-of-a-kind Shelley Berman. And after about a year of us being friends, he started to develop Alzheimer's, and he was still just as charming and lovely as ever when we would go and see him. Uh, he remembered us less and less, but he was sweet all the time regardless. And last Hanukkah, we spent the last two Hanukkahs together, where we'd go over their house for a Hanukkah Christmas party that they would throw uh, for all their friends of Jewish and Christian faith. And uh, last Hanukkah, I had the pleasure of sitting with Shelley, who at by this point, the Alzheimer's had taken over to the extent that he wasn't sure who I was anymore, but we were able to sit next to each other and watch the new Star Wars movie, which he had an advanced screening copy of, and it was just a beautiful moment because, I mean, just just being around him, he was just such a warm person and 
being able to uh, bring him some food or a drink and watch this movie together and seeing him laugh and talking to him and he had this childlike innocence because of this Alzheimer's and I don't know he was he was then and in my experience of being his friend always a very sweet and kind person and so in memoriam is that how you say it or is it memorial I guess it's memoriam I never know what these words but in in respect to Shelley Berman here is my recording with him when I first went and nervously met him and his wife with my wife for modern day philosophers all right now here's the original intro for the episode enjoy hey everybody thank you for joining me welcome to the beginning of season two of modern day philosophers i'm your host danny lobel if you're just joining the show and just found out about it thank you thank you for checking it out if you've been with me for a while thank you for being with me before we get into today's show i want to give you a little bit of background I had the awesome opportunity to spend the afternoon with Shelley Berman and his wife. Kylie and I drove up to their house and recorded this interview. Shelley has a new book of poetry that just came out, and we talk a lot about that, and we hear some of Shelley's poems. We talk about poetry, philosophy, comedy, Judaism, a whole bunch of stuff, so I hope you really enjoy it. So, without further ado, here it is, Season 2 of Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern Day Philosophers. Welcome, welcome to the show, everybody. Today... My guest, I'm honored, I'm truly honored because I'm in the presence of greatness. And uh, my guest is one of the all-time great comedians, uh, Mr. Shelley Berman. Thank you for doing the show. Oh, thank you, and thank you for that introduction. Well, that's all I needed. I'll be back. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm going to have to take the first five minutes just to be a fan, and then I can become a normal person. Oh, okay. Is that okay? I hope you will. Yeah. Yes. So, as you know, the show is a philosophy show. Do you... Yes, knowing the show is a philosophy show is already a problem. Oh, yeah? Yes, of course. Why? I don't think of myself at, every, at any point uh, a, a philosopher. Never? No, no, I don't. It never occurred to me that I'm... Somebody considers me philosopher. I, well, I, I know that I gather my life up without my even intention. I gather my life up and and put it into a sound uh, that uh, somebody can hear or understand. And if that is philosophy, okay, I'm I'm there. Mm-hmm. I I know that simply what is happening to me and I put it on myself and out it comes. My voice is there. My thinking is there. 
Isn't that philosophy? If that is philosophy, I accept that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I like your, even going back to your old records, you had, I'd even say your piece on buttermilk is a philosophy. Oh my goodness, yes. (laughs) That, well, these little things, yes, they're, they're, they're a matter of thought. Mm-hmm. They're a matter of feeling. And you deliver them. Or I deliver them. Right. And to be able to do that, that's really what makes the comedian, I suppose. Right. So, that, so, I'd, say, so I'd argue with you, and I'd say it is philosophy in that case. Well, a case... Huh? Fine. <laughs> I won I'm this. Fine. I won this argument. That's <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm not a comedian. I'm a philosopher. All right. Cool. I'll accept that very well. I'm glad I talked you into it. <laughs> and and you have a, a great new book out. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about the book. Uh, it's it's interesting that you decided to to write poetry. May I just say that I dashed. Poetry off. I didn't know. I didn't ever think of a book, or or for somebody to look at my work and say, "Oh, it's poetry." Mm-hmm. It, I haven't done that. Um, but after after a while in my life, I began to see that my writings were pretty good. I began to be happy with myself. Mm-hmm. And I never thought of myself as a as a comedian poet. Mm-hmm. I don't. Hey, I'm a I'm a comedian, but once in a while I write a poem. Mm-hmm. That's about it. And but what, what was happening was I was a, accumulating one poem after another. One time, somebody called me up and said, Shelley. Well, what are you doing? I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just sitting here. So, well, put on your T, put your TV on, put it right on. Wise, go ahead, put your TV on. And I found out that I was looking at New York and what had happened in two towers. The, and what, the 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 number of people dying in that place because they couldn't even get out and I I when this phone call got over I I tried to get it out of myself and I got it out with words and it's called an unobstructive view it's a poem but to think of it, to hear the bodies landing, I could hear them. People who knew they couldn't get out, they would have to die by burning, people were throwing themselves out the window, out of the, of the office. And, uh, my God, how could I write that? Well, I just put down some words, and I think it's okay. Can I get you to read that poem? Yes, it's called An Unobstructive View, September 2001. 
Unexpectedly today there was a sky, an unobstructed view of God's own blue, and below dun-colored clouds misplaced and burgeoning, clouds birthing, becoming covers, roiling in dense and restless rosettes of rage under a sky scarcely distressed, but for a fulsome plume of corruption climbing to almost spoil the scene. Below, a din subscribed to the cataract sight. From the sphere of chaos, rumble of tumbling concrete, peals of yielding steel, confusion of voices, cries invoking all available gods, no. The certainty of divine bumbling, no god, no. Urgencies of scuffling feet, grunting gouts of breath as of running, and reliably consonant sirens keening to the clack of bursting hearts. Soon, through ambivalent strands of clarity, a grudging view of grave men standing where they should not, brave men in broad hats, watershedding brims, catching snows of ashes, men shaking bowed heads in the glutinous light, sharing a wisdom wanting denial. They know, yet while knowing, go where they should not, as if having been called there only to go there. Water-shedding brims, shade eyes possessed, peering through soot-covered lids, Good men embrace astonished wanderers, leading them while knowing no place is far enough away. An unexpected silence rears without reason, and in the shapeless stillness whispered weeping. Sirens are the silence and the picture, at last a nothingness quite clearly viewed. Wow. That's very powerful. And did, let me ask you, did you write that immediately after seeing that on television? Yes. So this really poured out of you? Yes. And, and this was the first of the poems? It was the... I, no, this isn't the first of the poems. I'm, so this wasn't the first time you wrote? Oh, no, 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 no. is. I've always been writing these poems. It's got so much emotion in it. <laughs> I'm busy. I'm busy being a, an actor. Right, but it was what I felt. It was what I saw. Mm -hmm. These guys, the firemen, but they—they're wandering about this building, and you know they cannot penetrate. You, you know they cannot penetrate the, the building other with than where they're standing. They can't. They'll die. People were dying in that building as, as I was watching it. 
And my God, to see the people down there who know they're not going to die, mm-hmm. but, and, but they know they also have a duty. The, these firemen with their big hats, my God, they, they were doing things. People were wandering into that building and they were on, they got hold of them and got them the hell out of there. Did, did seeing that change your perspective on life? I mean, but you've seen a lot of things. You've, you've seen a lot of human suffering and war and in, in your lifetime. Did this stand out for you? This stands out because I was looking at death, really death. I was looking at the horrors of death. People unable to stop the death thing. People, people alive. And you, every once in a while you'd hear that crack of a body. You, oh, those sounds were terrifying, just terrifying. Um, so this brings to mind a few questions for me. Yes. Uh, one is you're talking in the poem, you're, you're saying you're talking to God. God, no, God, no. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if that's literal, if you're, if you're are you, a, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Uh, I, I, I'm a Jewish boy. Yeah, me too. And uh, I grew up a Jewish boy, and I, I'm still a Jewish boy. Uh, so, uh, so go ahead. <laughs> give me, give me problems. <laughs> so, no? so do you, so do you believe uh, that God, you'll answer to God and and everything one day? And, and you'll, do well, you... I don't go that far. I'm, I'm just, you know, I know what happens. I don't pray to, I don't pray to some piece of rock. Right. And when you're praying, when you're saying, please, God, you, you really mean it. Right. So uh, I don't really sit down and say, oh, boy, am I Jewish? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, boy, am I religious? Right. Uh, of course I'm religious. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to talk about it. Not, not anymore today. Well, I grew up uh, I grew up very religious, Jew. I went to yeshiva and everything. Oh, yeshiva. Of course we went to yeshiva. Yeah. And, and you had a... Do uh, you had a... a, a, a uh, what... Because I had a boy, I had a kid, uh, a little boy, and I was going to, on his 13th birthday, he was going to have his, his... Bar mitzvah. Huh? Bar, Bar mitzvah. mitzvah. And um, I have a poem about that, too. Yeah, I I read in, in the intro to the book about that and how... I can't even imagine how painful that must have been. And do you believe in an afterlife? Do you? And what do you think it would be? I don't think of an afterlife. I don't bother with that. I, uh, I just think of the life we have. And uh, I hope we can keep it long and healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I don't worry too much about the afterlife. 
and I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to tell people that there is no such thing, and I'm not going to mm-hmm. do that. Right. So, uh, yeah, maybe an afterlife. Uh, why should I argue with it? Right. Take it as it comes. No. Yeah. Right. That's philosophy. <laughs> well, yeah. well, going back to the to the stuff in nine nine eleven and the idea of God, because I I struggle with these ideas all the time. How do you process where 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 God is in that situation? I find it. I find it. If there was a God, mm-hmm. where the hell was he on that day? Right. That, yes, yes. Can I read you another poem? Yes, please. The poem's name is To Laughter with Questions. Which is the name of the book, also poetry by Shelley Berman. And then there's the quote, just because you can't eat it doesn't mean it isn't good. I recall him. We were making room for other plants and so we had to get rid of some roses. Uh-huh. And uh, I asked him to help me outside there, is my son, to help me with the plants, get the plants out of the way so, uh, so we, can make, we can plant this other stuff. Anyway, he wound up saying this, just because you can't eat it doesn't mean it isn't good. Uh-huh. And uh, I loved what he said. And so I stopped digging up the other plants. He saw me once as I uprooted roses and he cried. I put aside the spade, of course, and made the funny face that gave him laughter. I stopped to hear old silences, those days of shorter words. Our morning swims. I say he's getting taller and he grins. Books and colored pencils on the lawn. I towel his back and muss his hair. Wondering, I return to now to laughter with questions. Will I forget? Not yet. I turn and find his eyes, eyes to eyes, until again I reach to touch his wetted face and find my own. He was a rose too much in shade, too wise for promises, my laughter's urgent lies. Leave me, he said, and when I left, he chose to go as well. The candle takes its fire, and I recite the Kaddish, the flame bobbing at my breath. Year by year, the burning yard site sends its scent and glow even into laughter. We lost, we lost him before his 13th birthday. Had a brain tumor. 
that is one of my saddest uh, recalls. I was able to write this, but tears kept falling on the paper. That's when you when you write poetry, does it? Because so much of comedy, I think, comes from the same place as poetry. Yes. Um, when when you're writing poetry, what's the distinction in the brain that's that's separating these these thoughts from the funny thoughts? Because comedy is another way of coping with pain. You don't. I don't think about whether it's a funny thought or uh, a happy thought or, or or a bad thought. Or I don't do that. I don't. What I feel, I'm writing, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm I'm having a good time, and it's funny, and it's I'm I'm saying it, mm-hmm. I'm doing it, and or like this, mm-hmm. I'm on the verge of tears. It, believe me, I'm fighting all the time when I'm doing these poems. You said that it wasn't for, for a long time. You didn't consider yourself a poet. I never. I still don't think of myself as a poet. Well, I'm. I'm. Why a, not? I'm a person who writes poetry. <laughs> right. Well, what's the difference? When do I you don't decide know. you're a poet? Well, I think today. I think today, these days, since I have a published bunch of poetry right coming coming now and uh okay i'll accept the You'll, title because for a long time i didn't consider myself a comedian i just thought of myself as someone who does comedy until i realized okay now i'm a comedian you know <laughs> yes that's exactly about it yeah that's about it that's it so at, yeah. at a certain point you just have to accept okay i am this now because yeah. that's it okay that's what you're doing i understand that yeah so so you turned out to be a poet and a philosopher and you didn't even realize it till now who knows what else you might be? Um, let's t- let's take a look at the philosopher that Alex picked out for you before we get to some more poetry. Uh huh. So, uh, the philosopher that Alex picked for you, Shelley, is Henry David Thoreau. 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 Yes. Am I getting that right? That's Thoreau. Thoreau. And I think he was quite a poet. That's why he picked him, because of your new book on poetry. That was the connection. Well, yeah, but you're putting me into very, very good, very good company. (laughs) I love the idea of being anywhere near Thoreau. So, uh, well, I guess the first question is, why do you write so much about nature? What do you think it is about you that that connects to nature as as a writer, as a poet? It's just sort of without my really knowing that I'm doing it and I, I don't think about that. There isn't a specific subject matter that interests you more than others? Yes, there is. It was a while ago when I have to give you the title, Sarah Still. It was a while ago when she and I decided to what the hell go gray. And we have liked ourselves this way, in comfort with the narrowing of choice. Walks are shorter, she bad knee and all, an athletic shopper of bewildering ease. 
as I follow breathless on two good knees, in comfort with the making of our days. In whispers at bedtime, we slow-mo the day, old laughter, new gossip, habits of years, sworn to one bed and easy kiss-away tears, in comfort with the nourishing of time. Sunday night in bed, the New York Times crossword. I the pencil, she the mind. I the factotum, she the resigned. In comfort with the knowing of our joy. That's beautiful. You have, my Sarah. You've had, and you guys have such, I can just tell meeting you what a beautiful marriage and a beautiful friendship you have. Oh, yeah. And... So before I get back to this philosopher in nature, I have to ask you, six, you're 66 years married, is that correct? I'm sorry? Is it 66 years you've been married, right? Yeah, that's it. So what's, what, is, what is it you think is, I'll, I'll be cliche, what's the secret to it? What do you think makes a great marriage? I think... Uh, and why have you been able to accomplish something that so many people can't? I think it's because we love each other. I think we really, I mean, I, I get up in the morning, she's out in the kitchen, she's already out, she gets up early, really early, and I know that there's breakfast out there, <laughs> and, but she's already taking care of me. I, I'm going to have a nice meal. First, I'll start with a cereal. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have the the big meal. And uh, she is the one that does it for me. Uh, we may have we may have a little something that something go wrong every day, mm-hmm. or once in a while. But uh, there she is. Thank God, there she is. There is nothing like it. There is nothing so wonderful as getting up, getting out of pajamas and getting into something reasonable to wear and finding her there in the kitchen. That, that's it. That's life. And it's, it really is marvelous because I do absolutely adore her. And she's tough. Yeah? Oh, she's tough. How so? Well, if I mess with her, believe me. (laughs) She'll let you have it. You can disagree with her. Mm -hmm. But even that is watch out. Is she out here? She's over there. Oh, my God, there she is. She's over there smiling. (laughs) Yeah. But, but, oh, I didn't realize, honest to God, I didn't realize. You didn't even know she was right there. She, oh, well, it's, well, well, I was lying. She, 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 she's lurking. She, she's got to be. <laughs> there she is. What, well, what, why do you think so many people can't hold together a marriage? What are they doing wrong? They're not cowards like I am. <laughs> You just have to. Uh, you just have to give in. Oh boy, I'm scared to death. If she really gets mad at me, boy, 
I, I can't I can't take those chances. Right. So I'm busy saying how much I love you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> in case in case she turns on me, boy, I'm in trouble. That's I, I like that's my philosophy. We have another connection in the besides the fact that we're both Jewish boys. Uh, your wife is a convert, and my girlfriend is converting to Judaism. Well, that's nice. Yeah. So, but my my wife was a Catholic, mm-hmm. and she had to meet the matriarch of the entire family, and that was my grandmother. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had to. So my grandmother sat on the porch, and uh, which was sort of a long. Step, mm-hmm. bunch of steps, and uh, I had to go away. I brought my wife up the stairs to her, to my grandmother, to sit and talk with her, and uh, I had to go away. And there was a time for me to come back, and I came back, and I walked up the stairs, and she sent Sarah down. And uh, I looked at, and I was frightened, because I was, you know, I really wanted to marry that girl. And your grandmother was a tough woman. And my grandmother, yes, she was tough. And she took, she looked down the stairs and watched Clara come down all the way. Then she watched me come up all the way. And... uh, she said, she looked at me, she said, this shiksa you can have. <laughs> she, she gave her the green light. That's that's correct. That was it. Did you ask her why, or you just said, no, that's good enough? I'll no, take- I just, uh, she, she talked uh, to her nice, and I guess everything was right for Sarah. What Did you ask Sarah what she said to her? Can I, I, don't, Sarah, I don't know. Can what. I get Sarah? Would you go on the mic for a minute? Because sure. then I'll tell you the story of me and my grandmother and Kylie. Yeah. So what, 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 did, what did she say to you? Well, first of all, his grandmother didn't speak English very well. She only spoke Yiddish. So I kept saying, talking to her, I don't know how we sort of understood each other, but evidently we did. When we got finished, um, she just was very nice and took my hand and everything, uh-huh. and uh, then said, go, go. <laughs> she, <laughs> she sent you away. <laughs> but we got along very well from then on, and uh, she did amazing things. And um, I really loved her very much. We had a sort of bond that grew. And uh, I could tell you funny stories, but um, she was a delight. She really was. So Kylie, my grandma, is originally from Austria. And she escaped during the Holocaust. And she lives in Scotland. So we we went to, she met my grandpa, who was a Scottish Jew, from a long line of Scottish Jews. 
So I'm actually, did you know there were Scottish Jews? I didn't know. It sounds like a, a Scottish Jew. Yeah. It sounds like some kind of chewing gum or something like that. <laughs> a Scottish, Scottish yeah. Jew. That would yeah, be a Scottish Jew. Yeah. Anyway, it sounds uh, pretty tough. Yeah, yeah. so I brought Kylie to Scotland. Yeah. To, to meet my grandma. Should I put Kylie? I'll put Kylie on the mic. Since you put your lady on, I'll put mine. Here, here, you, t- you tell the story, Kylie, of meeting my grandma. Yeah. Um, so she said to me, if the Nazis came and put a gun to your head and said, either I shoot you or I shoot Daniel, what would you say? And I said, well, they, I'd say shoot me. Spare Danny. She said, well, they wouldn't do that. They would shoot Danny, and then they would torture you. Would anyone like tea? Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> How do you like that? I no, I didn't like it. <laughs> oh, my. And then she ends it by saying, would anybody like tea? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my. Let's take a look at uh, Mr. Thoreau. Is that correct? Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau. So, you see, I'm not making it up that I don't know anything about philosophy. Yeah. I I told you, you don't have to feel alone here and not knowing anything. Okay. I'll read you a little bit about him first. He He lived from 1817 to 1862. He was an American author, a poet, a historian, and, uh, and, um, and a historian. He's best known for his book, Walden, A Reflection Upon Simple Living, in Natural Surroundings, and his essay, Resistance to Civil Government, an argument for disobedience in an unjust state. I have a question off topic. When you started out, um, was Lenny Bruce was on the scene too, right? Yeah. And were you were you friendly with Lenny? Yes. You were? Yes. Oh, yeah, I liked him. He was, he was very nuts, and, and, and I, I was kind of nuts, and... Yeah, we, we we liked him. We, we liked him, and uh, but I was of course I was busy trying to make a life for myself. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in I wasn't in battle with him. Mm-hmm. He was fine, and I was fine. Right. He he was I guess more of a, a disobedience to an unjust state kind of guy. That's why he well, came he, to mind over there. Well, right? he was he he did a lot. Yeah, he did a lot, and. Uh, I, I would send him a little uh, a note about about my relationship with him, and he'd send me a thing. Like what was it? What would the note say? Do you it remember? Was, it was friendship. It was, yeah, you're doing a you're doing a style thing, and you're getting there and fine, and, and I'm trying to do the same damn thing, but okay. When you when you guys were starting out, there really wasn't anybody to compare it to. Like I can, I can do stand up now, and I can go look back at your old records and 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 his stuff and everything, and I could know where it came from and and have an idea of where it's going. But you were really pioneering this thing when you were doing it. I guess so. I guess we were. I I I I know that I was doing something new, uh, and uh, it was working. I, I never intended to be uh, uh, actually brand new. I, I didn't even think of that. Uh, after a while, the techniques that I had uh, established 
uh, were mine, and I felt good about them. And, and then pretty soon there was somebody doing my stuff. Right. That's how it goes. And uh, oh, that upset me greatly. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what the hell am I going to do? I can't fight this way. Right. Well, but, when, <laughs> well, you've seen the whole thing happen, which is amazing. Yes, I saw it. From the, from the very beginnings uh, through, you know, through the Woody Allens and the Andy Kaufmans and, and the Lewis Blacks, you've you've seen the whole the whole thing till now from when it started. And I I was the guy who brought it in. Sure. And uh, so there were people all of a sudden doing not only doing the phone call but doing it the way I do it. Right. And uh, so that that was a problem for me to get used to it. I think and history so, straightened that one out for you, though. I think people know you as that guy at the end of it. So, I suppose. So I, I guess suppose. justice was done in that way. Well, because I was a, a great, uh, what the hell? I was nothing. A pioneer. I just did. I just did really good comedy. That's well, all. I agree with that. When I think about the guys who started this all, I think about you, Mort Saul. Lenny Bruce. Oh, March Saul was a man who helped me greatly in the very beginning. He didn't he didn't work like me. I, as a matter of fact, felt I was working like him. And uh, but then I he talked me into doing a a uh, 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 record. A record. He talked me into doing a... Which was the first Grammy-winning comedy album, right? I guess so. You really you really set this thing off. Yeah. I, but that was it. And I liked it. I, I was working at um, the uh, Hungry Eye in San Francisco. And uh, Mort saw... saw uh, Talked me into having my um, my show uh, on uh, recording, and uh, he didn't bother uh, try to be me. He tr- he told me to be me, and it was a great friendship, and it was beautiful. Are you and, still in touch? And all my and my and it was my f- big big. Success was uh, the recording of my work at the Hungry Eye. May I hear another poem before we go forward? You want to hear? Let's see what else I've got here. Supper, Erev Rosh Hashanah. Does it sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Perhaps the wife think otherwise. It was the time of year, its suggestion. But I'm certain I could hear mingling on the edges of their laughter. Tequila, teruah, jubilee. Then a playful question for me and time. This family, how long have they been here? Tullesim in plastic bags draped upon a chair. Can I deny I saw them there? 
exclude from memory the time of year, yet I heard the trumpets clearly. On the edges of their laughter, ancient tropes, curling voices, canting in solemn seesaw minors, intoning tequila, I knew at last they are the before and the after, rejoicing, adoring the past. They rested from op they rested from opaque antiquity to dress it now, and Leviticus and Numbers settles on this house, on the late Illinois corn standing still green in coincidence of Tishri. And September, sing to Kia. Exultant, we meet to greet our timelessness. This acre will tomorrow be a street where Ezra reads the law. This family knows how much we share, knows Jews at table pass more than potatoes. <laughs> they share their sons with me. I thought to ask in such households, are all sons called Isaac? I thought to tell them on the second day, your story will be read. I thought to tell them burgeoning fruit of the millennia, sages, sons and fathers of sages. You instruct us all in flowering wisdom and whole innocence, and the pages we read you will write have written at this table where all time today is mine. All sons are mine. Do you remember we stood once on a street by the water gate, heard Ezra read the law, heard Tekiah, Tekiah, Tekiah. Times beyond counting, we have gone apart, yet come again together at this table, by this street, by the water gate. This is our singleness of time. At the time we are adoring, the ram's horn persuades us to Kia Yom Teruah. Had I forgotten this day or known it forever? On this eve of the first day of the seventh month, I sit with friends and it is revealed. On the edges of our laughter, we are inscribed in the book of life. I love it. And what you're describing there a lot is just how powerful the, the shofar blow is. And, yeah. and, and, and can't you feel it when it when sort of like goes through your whole body? <laughs> I, I always feel it like in my spine on Rosh Hashanah. I feel like when that shofar blows or at the end of Yom Kippur, that yeah. final shofar blowing, it's, it, it's almost haunting in a way. Yes. Right? Yes. Well, you, you have such a strong sense of, of your Jewish identity that I, I didn't really, like, you wouldn't get that as much from your comedy. Like, you listen to Jackie Mason, I mean, he really lets you know it. But uh, it, it's, it shows up a lot more in your poetry. What does it mean to you? And, and I know that's a vague question, but 
What does being a Jew mean to you? It means Chicago. It means it means getting used to the world. It means there were days when the black lady would come and clean because we couldn't do that that work on the holiday. And we loved the, the lady who would come and clean. Yeah. And we never, never said anything bad. Not about the lady who came to clean. We knew who they were, and we knew who we were. It was wonderful to be a Jew. And uh, I tell you the truth, I had a good time. And I had a brother, too. He was a younger brother by two years. And he was the most decent human being. And he was the strongest of us, of us all. He had, he would play football in high school and he was something else. <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't bother uh, worrying about him. He was my brother. Sure. But then he got sick, and we lost him. Uh, that was awful. But then, then my own little boy, it just seemed crazy, because little Joshua, uh, he was he was my he was my love. It was our love. How do you process it all? And, and, and maybe for other people who have, have to deal with pain in, in their lives, what advice would you give them? And You've got to keep going. Uh, it's like, say, your car, your car all of a sudden goes bluey, you know. All right, that's tough. You gotta take care of it. You gotta make, you gotta fix it. You gotta make it work for you. And it's gotta be there. Life will go on for you. Uh, you, can, you can quetch all you want. I, I, am, a, I am not a quetch. You're not. If you want to be a kvetch, go ahead. Thank you. I will. Yeah. <laughs> Why I not? thank you. If I, you. I love to kvetch. It's part of part of my daily activities. It's kvetch. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, I wanted to go through a few quotes from our philosopher and see what you think of them, if that's all right with you, sir. Okay. Okay. So these are from. Then uh, you might tell me the pronunciation. Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau. Well, this was, it's a famous name. It's a famous name. Yeah. I have a hard time with names in general, but when you throw in an E-A-U at the end of it, the, then you, well. I'm, I, I, I'm, I have to just throw down the towel. I'm out of here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, he says, I find it wholesome to be alone the greater part of the time. 
To be in company, even with the best, is soon wearisome and, dis- uh, and dissipating. I love to be alone. I never found the companion that was so companionable as solitude. I guess that's something that he does not have in common with you, because you, you found the companion. There are times when I feel like being alone, and then I, uh, I like to, to write, and I, like to, I don't necessarily have to write poetry all the time. There are other things to write. Uh, there are times when I like to be alone. Is it healthy for the relationship to have a lot of alone time? Sometimes she wants to be alone. Oh, yeah. She's shaking her head. Oh, yeah. And uh, sometimes I like to be alone. So you, are you, right, so are you more creative when you're on your own or, or when you're with your wife? Well, with, when I'm with, with my wife, I am creative because she listens to what I've got to say. And I may, have, I may tell her about something I'm doing. And she will, I think, if she passes on it, if she says it's good, hey, I'm going to go there all the way. All right. I once interviewed Larry King, and I asked him why he had married and divorced so many times. And what he told me has always bothered me, so maybe you can help me get past it. He told me, you're a different person every 10 years of your life. He said, I was a different person at 30 than I was at 40. I was a different person at 40 than I was at 50. And you like different things when you're different people in your life. And that scared me when he said that because I, I said, well, hopefully I'll get older too. And I want to I stick with my woman. I don't want to like different things. And is there truth to what he said? And, and if so, how do you deal with it? Maybe, maybe that's for him. Maybe what he said is for him. Because sure, sure as hell, I am not that way. I don't think that uh, there's going to be this time and then this time and then this time in my life. Why do I have to worry about that? I, that lady that I talk about is part of my life all the time. Except when we have an argument. <laughs> then, then she's out of there. Yeah. Then you're a different so person. We have, a, we have an argument, and boy, it's, this is awful, 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 until, um, until a little later on. And, and we have to watch uh, Judge Judy. So you don't think you change as you age? Huh? So you don't think you really change as you age? Oh, I guess I've, as, as my age, yeah, as I age, certainly... Certainly, I, I get to be a little bit uh, crotchety. I get a little, I, I get a little, like this morning, I, I was, uh, I felt, I was a little hard, it was a little hard for me to, to get dressed as quickly as I was trying to do. I thought, hey, what's happening here? I was breathing, uh, wasn't breathing good, or whatever, I, I just thought, and I've, I've had a time when it was very serious. One day, uh, when I wound up in the hospital for, for uh, it, but nah, 
today? All right. It was a little bit uh, hard to catch my breath. Are you are you in your mind a young man or are you an old man in your mind? Because I'll tell you what, I'm a heavy guy, yeah. but I forget it during the day. You know, I forget until I walk by a mirror. I go, oh, yeah, I'm a heavy guy. And I wonder if it's the same way with age. Do you think in, in, until you see a mirror, oh, I'm a young man. I don't. I don't look to see if I'm a young man. I really don't. I look at pictures. Or I, right. But, but, but uh, no, uh, oh, come on. Well, I'm it, not it, a. But your consciousness, uh, are you conscious of the fact that you're old all the time? Or is it just a thing? After a while, after a while, you, you have reason uh, to move a little slower. And, and okay. But... But now I have my poetry to to uh, right to, to 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 make me look very good. So you've you've aged very gracefully. I guess so. Yeah. I guess so. But but uh, I still use dirty language. I still use. I'm still. I'm a pain in the ass. That's all right. You're a Jewish boy. That's how you're supposed to be. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Right. Yeah. If you're not going to kvetch, you may as well be a pain in the ass. It's no, one or the other, That's right? correct. <laughs> I, but I do both. I'm a kvetch and I'm a pain in the ass. You are a kvetch then. Yes. So when you're kvetching, you're probably more of a pain oh, yeah. in the ass. Well, they feed knows, into each other. She knows why I'm a kvetch. I'll, I have one or two more quotes here before we wrap up. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll read you another one. He, he writes, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. So, let me take a moment to think about that quote. Is that Thoreau? Yeah. Yeah? <laughs> what but do you think of that's that? That's a poet. It's poetry. How, do you, you feel you've lived, I'm sure. Yeah, but I'm, 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 I don't like the past tense there. <laughs> 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 Living. Yeah. You feel accomplished is a better way of asking it. Oh, yeah. With the poetry, right now with the poetry, because I, I never dreamed that I, I would have a poetry book. I never dreamed that that would, I, because I was write, writing these things, and but all along I had a load of poems, and then somebody said, here, let's do it. Let's do this. Uh -huh. So I, I, I did not know what Thoreau seemed to know. I, I didn't know that I was writing poet, that I was a poet. Yeah, I really think that's it. Yeah. And I'm not gonna, and I'm, I'm not kidding you. I really think I've done it well. And I, I, rick up, I look up my poems and I think, hey. I love them. They're really good. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Do you still do any stand-up? I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I don't do stand-up necessarily. But if I'm asked to get up and uh, do something, uh, something will happen. Are you still jotting down funny ideas throughout the day? No, I don't. No, 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 no. I, that's the whole thing about what what's the word 
No, when you're making it up while you're on, ta- on stage. Improv. Huh? Improvising. Improvisation, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't think of the word. But for me, improv, that'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. So you, were you ever a writer of jokes, or were you always improvising on well, stage? Well, I, I started, and not jokes. I, I started... Uh, Somehow, by writing a a sketch for Steve Allen, a guy named Steve Allen. Sure, I I know him. And because of that, uh, I began to be a comedian. But you never kept a notepad on you and and wrote joke, runny, funny ideas throughout the day or things like that. No, 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 no. But you're doing it with poetry. That's interesting. Right, right now it's all down here. Yeah. Yeah. One, one more question on aging. Um, I've heard people say that age is just a number in your mind. Is that true? Yeah. I, I, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm tired. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not going to, after you leave, I'm not going to say, gee, uh, I'm old. Right. What the hell am I going to do that for? <laughs> You know, I had a hard time turning 30, which you'll probably laugh at. I felt... No, no, no. It's all right. I understand it. Um, Here's the last quote. Live in each season as it passes. Breathe the air, drink the drink, taste the fruit, and resign yourself to the influence of the earth. Who says that? Oh, you're challenging me on this? Thoreau? Thoreau? Yes. I understand that. Resigning yourself to the influence of the earth? What does that mean? I don't know what it means, and I don't want to know. I don't want to. You don't want to know? No. Yeah, you know what? Me neither. (laughs) You have a very cool knife collection here that I wanted to bring up really quick before I turn off the mics, because I'm also a collector, and I've been collecting since I was a kid. And I've been recently very dis- so basically when I was when I was very young, my dad was a photographer, and he always told he always said, uh, "You're not going to get any money from me. You better be, you know, you better figure it out." So when I was a kid, I got scared by that, and I started collecting everything I could collect. I had huge baseball card collections and comic book collections and every kind of collection you could think, because I figured that way I won't be screwed. You know, I yeah. could always fall back on that. But then uh, Hurricane Sandy came and uh, destroyed every collection that I uh, had collected from all those years that my parent, my parents' house got hit very hard in the storm. So I'm in a weird place with collecting right now where I just, I don't know what the point of it is anymore. And maybe you can, maybe you can re, re-excite me about collecting, but what does it do for you? Each piece... Each individual piece is a work of art. I can have, I have pictures, I have paintings, I have things that fill me with fine, the fineness about uh, good art. Uh, these things that I collect started as, as a little boy. When I 
when I always wanted to have a, a, a knife, a, a pocket, but these were pocket knives, and I was thinking only of that. And then I saw some knives in a window, and I went and bought the knives. And then we heard of another show in Solvang. And uh, I went there and I bought a couple more knives because I was well off. I was making lots of money as a performer. Why the hell not take enjoy those knives? Yeah. yeah, I think you're saying the same thing you were telling me before. Just keep going. Enjoy your life. Find what makes you happy. Yeah. And just keep going. Yeah. You, you get hit with something bad, just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to take that away from this. Thank you so much, Shelly. I appreciate it. Okay, my friend. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I decided to end it off with this outro instead of the original one because this is of course, in remembrance of Shelley. And I wanted to just end by saying it was a privilege and an honor being able to be friends with such a great man. He was a sweet man. He was a revolutionary in the comedy world. I guess I would put him in a small group with Mort Saul and Lenny Bruce as the, the original founders of stand-up comedy as we know it today. He was the first comedian to win a Grammy. He opened the doors for so many comedians to put out albums and prove that comedians could be big record stars as well. And he didn't have an easy life. His career in the 60s took a big hit um, after an NBC special made him look like he was temperamental and hard to work with. And you could look into that more on your own. As you know from the episode, he lost his son, and that pain stayed with him till the end. And he w he had his ups and downs in his career. And one thing that I related to him on was that he sort of seemed to be a lone wolf. And yes, I have friends who are comedians, but I've never been part of a clique, and I don't think Shelley was either. I think he and I have always sort of moved to the, to our own beat. And I related to that, you know, we're not, we're not the people who you probably see hanging out at the clubs at night with everybody. Um, it's, it's pretty rare. And, uh, he was a family man. He was loyal to his wife for so many years and, uh, you know, for all of his life now he's dead, but his wife was right there at the funeral and he was a good father. He was a good role model. I think I really saw that when I first met him. I was like, here's a guy who, uh, I mean, I related to so much, just the, the collecting. He had all those knives that he collected in his house, and I think I mentioned that in the episode, how I used to collect things and when, for many years. And I don't know. We had a lot in common, and mostly I'm just proud to say that I was his friend. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll have a new episode for you soon. Uh, everything else you need to know probably can be found at moderndayphilosophers.net where you can also make a donation or pick up my new album, Danny Lobel, 
the nicest boy in Barcelona. That's right. Shelly started it, and uh, the albums are still coming out. Comedians making CDs, records, MP3s, audio cassette tapes. What if I just fade out on different forms of media? All right, goodbye, everybody. Talk to you later.